listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 266. What's wow. going on, dude? Past 250 episodes. Well, we have been for a while. Yeah. For what, maybe 16? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> I can math. Yay, Mark can math. Not only can Mark math, but Mark can read reviews. You want to see me? Go ahead. All right. Insightful and fun. Five-star review. This podcast is one of my preferred tools to feel productive while I commute to work or work out. It really helps me to stay up to date on the oil and gas industry when there's no time to read journals or watch the news. One observation I'd like to make is that in the two episodes in May 2022, Mark said the futures do not have an agreed-upon price in the future. This is wrong. Futures do have an agreed-upon price called the execution price. Also, most transactions in the oil and gas industry are not precise futures but forwards. Difference between these is that the futures and exchange-listed securities while forwards are OTC instruments and offers substantially more flexibility. Okay, I hope this helps and keep up the great work. This is from photo user 7665883 from Apple Podcasts in the United States. So, photo user 7665833, thank you, thank you, thank you for correcting me. We actually had somebody correct me a little bit earlier than you, but still, audiences, anytime you hear us make a mistake or quote something that's wrong, please reach out and let us know, not only for our own education, but to make sure that we're doing a good job of keeping our audiences up to date. So, once again, thank you for the review, and I really appreciate you correcting me on the whole futures thing, which I now have a much deeper understanding than I thought I ever <laughs> would, good. which is pretty cool. Hey, and whenever y'all correct us, don't be a jerk. We've gotten a couple of those. <laughs> no, we haven't. Different review. Oh, yeah, but... I, it wasn't a correction. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the review that Paige is talking about, you'll hear it on probably the next First Friday Q&A. Yeah. All righty, so let's get into the news stories. First one we have, renewable fuel retailer sues Philip 66, alleging theft of trade secrets. This is interesting. So Sacramento, California-based renewable fuels retailer, Propel Fuels, has filed a suit against Philip 66, saying that basically Phillips misappropriated their trade secrets during due diligence for an acquisition that never occurred. What that basically means is Propel Fuels is saying that Philip 66 learned trade secrets while they were in discussions about an acquisition. The acquisition never happened. And what they're implying is that Phillips did this just to gain these trade secrets. And then what they're talking about is this refinery. It's in California in Rodeo. And Philip 66 is retrofitting it based upon business drivers. And I actually happen to know this firsthand because I actually spoke at Philip 66 a couple of years ago. And had a conversation with some of their executives. So this refinery, because of some of the rules and regulations in California. Now, remember, folks, this is way before the shortages that we're going through now. Right. And these type of decisions are made years in advance of when they actually do the work. But they had decided to just shut down the refinery. California wouldn't let them bring a new pipeline or rail to increase the supply mm-hmm. of raw feedstock and also to offload stuff. And it just didn't make financial sense. So they were going to shut it down. They end up brokering a deal with the state to turn it into a renewable fuel refinery, which made everybody happy. The state of California. Oh, that's cool. Philip 66. Yeah, yeah. So here's a company saying that everything's not kosher with that. I don't want to comment too much because this is pending litigation. And like I said, I don't actually have any insider information, but I would be surprised if this actually turned out to be true, but we'll wait and see. Sounds kind of shady. Yeah. 
All right. So next one is geothermal study examines repurposing offshore oil wells. I cannot talk today. (laughs) (laughs) This is really cool. So this is not the first time I've seen this. So basically what they're talking about is taking old wells. And if you don't know this, people, as you drill down into the earth, it starts getting warmer. And it eventually gets to the point where it's extremely hot and there's enough of a temperature difference that you can use that to generate energy, usually electricity, right? There's certain countries in the world that they're lucky enough to have that geothermal activity on the surface. So think of Norway, Iceland, and they use that to generate steam to turn steam generators like anything else. This is a little bit different. It's not getting that hot, but they're still able to pull that heat using a recirculating system from the bottom of the well up to the top, and they can use that heat for several things. I think we had an article a couple months ago about this company doing it to keep chicken farms warm, and it cost nothing because they were using old oil wells to pull. They were running water loop systems from the old wells into the chicken coops to keep the chickens I vaguely warm, remember that, which yes. Which is a big cost for chicken farmers in parts of the country where it gets cold, right? And so this is trying to do the same thing. They're using a closed loop technology. They're basically use old wells, old oil wells, and pull that heat out of the ground using a heat exchanger. But what they're going to do with it here is they're going to try to create what's called a base load. So when you think about your home, your home fluctuates how much electricity it uses during the day, right? When everybody's at work and the kids are at school, there's not a lot of electricity being used. Come the weekend when everybody's home and you're washing clothes and people taking showers and the air conditioners run, the TV's on, use more electricity. The base load is what does it cost to run your house when you don't have that extra load on it, like just the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. In metabolic terms, it's the same thing as a human basal metabolic rate. How many calories does it take just to make Paige stay alive, not count what else she burns, right? Right, okay. And so what they're talking about here is able to use this latent heat to try to generate base load electricity. So back to my house example, they would not be able to generate enough electricity to power your house when everything was going on, but when nothing was going on, it could power it. What a great freaking idea. Right. I mean, this is really cool. Our industry comes up with some really cool stuff. This really could be <laughs> a game changer. So instead of trying to boil the ocean, they're just taking a little piece of technology that exists already. They're taking some old wells, and all they're trying to do is generate that base load of electricity. So I wish them super success. I'd love to see them knock it out the park and have this whole business grow. This is really cool. Not figuratively, by the way. But um, <laughs> All right. Anyway, Johnson says UK has to keep North Sea oil and gas flowing. So the whole reason he's bringing all this stuff is there's on this past Thursday, a chancellor said that they were announcing windfall tax. So basically a 25% tax or levy on any profits that the UK oil and gas producers make in the North Sea starting last year and going forward in the future. Now, let me tell you a problem with that. Basically, what they're doing is they're saying, hey, look, oil and gas companies in the North Sea, you're making a lot of profits right now. We don't think it's fair, so we're going to tax what your profits are, right? This is going to literally take about 80% of the profits that these companies are making and put it in the government's funds, right? The problem with that is there needs to be something that's reciprocal. So for the last 10 years where the oil and gas industry was hurting, was dying, then the UK should then pay us. Can't do it halfway, which is what they're doing here. And this windfall tax is also being pushed around here in the U.S., and it will kill the industry. You can't tack an industry when they're booming unless you compensate them when they're in a bus cycle. And so what they're doing is they're not wanting to compensate anybody in a bus cycle. They just want to tax in a boom cycle, which is asinine, which means you don't understand business at all. So when Boris Johnson has to explain business <laughs> to the North Sea environment, and I'm not picking him too much. It's really kind of sad, but it's just to me, it's just common sense. But to people my, out there. I hope y'all can hear my eyes rolling <laughs> in the back of my head. But for the people out there, and I hear a lot of this here in the U.S., it's like, oh, the oil and gas companies are making record profits. Yeah, but they had record losses for a decade. 
And as a shareholder or as an employee or as a spouse or of a child or somebody that works in this industry, you can't take the profits away when times are good. That's just not right. And this is one of the few times the oil and gas industry gets to invest in research and development. When they're this profitable, they can invest in R&D dollars, which then helps lower emissions, makes things safer, provides more jobs. This is just an asinine idea, and let's just hope that it doesn't go through because it literally will kill. I mean, everybody, Shell, BP, both have said that we're pulling out of the North Sea. If you pass this tax, we're not going to make any money, so why will we even stay? So let's hope yeah. that this doesn't go through. Okay. Adnock Drilling buys more rigs. They actually picked up two new premium jackup rigs. And so this is going to bring their fleet up probably to one of the top modern jackup rigs, actually, of all the drillers out there. There's other bigger operators out there that have older fleets. But they're going from 96 to 104 company-owned rigs since October of last year, which is pretty decent growth compared to what's going on. And then they're also looking to buy additional rigs and make some acquisitions. So to my point earlier, here's a perfect example of a company that is doing well as the oil and gas industry is doing well, right? So you need a rig, you have to rent for somebody, you can rent from Adnock Drilling Company. But if you start taxing them, especially like place in North Sea, they're not going to be able to buy new rigs, which is less jobs and everything else. So it's just cool. They picked up these two, you know, basically brand new premium rigs, high horsepower, and it looks like they're wanting to do more acquisitions. And I suspect they will. So this is just kind of cool to see companies grow because unfortunately, Paige, for years, you and I were doing the opposite on this very show. Oh, they lost two rigs. Yeah. Oh, there's a merger, right? Or there's a bankruptcy. I love it staying on this side of the line. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Okay, so Brazilian president may need months to replace Petrobras yeah, management. So current president, Jair Bolsonaro, is having the same political problems in his country that our current administration is, which is basically fuel prices are going through the roof at the pump, which then upsets everybody. People all of a sudden forget political alignment when they can't afford to fill up their car. They blame all politicians, which they should. And so his reelection is looking like it may not happen. So what he's trying to do is do something to show that he's trying to help the common people at the pump. And his solution is to replace the entire board of Petrobras. Now, I know Petrobras well. They'll follow Portuguese muito bem. They, for a long time, had a really big problem with corruption. And people don't want to talk about it, but I'm going to tell you that's what it is. They've cleaned up a lot of it. But a lot of it that was cleaned up was this new board that they actually put in. And it was the first time that the board actually had to pass an ethics background before they could be elected. Before that, it was basically you elect your buddy, which is all a perfect way wow. to open the door to corruption. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Right? And so this movement that he's trying to do to replace the board is really a way for him to try to look better in the public eye. Number one, I don't know if legally he can do it but because there's laws that he actually signed himself saying that <laughs> <laughs> I know <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. There's laws he actually signed himself that spells out how you have to evaluate the candidates, how they have to be presented to the board, what background checks have to be, and how long they have to wait. And all that was put in place to stem corruption, right? Well, now that he's trying to turn this around, his own laws are getting his way. So number one, I don't think he legally can do it. Number two, I'm not quite sure if you're a newly elected board for Petrobras and then the president is getting rid of you because he's getting beat up in public. Would you be the one to raise your hand to be that person's replacement? Would you want to be on the next board? No. No. Not so, especially if he's getting reelected. Yeah. So that's the other thing I think is to keep from doing this is I don't think he's going to have any candidates. Everybody's going to like turn their heads and go, nope, not me. I'm not volunteering for this whatsoever. When's the election? The election is the spring of 2023. So okay. it's actually kind of right around the corner for them. Well, right? it says here that it will take at least 45 to 60 days to complete the necessary procedural. 
Yeah, so by the time he gets it all said and done, you know, and the other thing that goes on in Brazil is they subsidize retail fuel prices in a lot of states in Brazil to help the poorer people. So, you know, I don't even have an answer to this. I'm not even sure what I would like to see happen. I will say this much. The amount of corruption that's been cleaned up in Petrobras in the last day has been phenomenal. It's really up to the Brazilian people and who they vote for, just like it is here, if they want to continue that trend or if they want to go back to old ways. So let's. We'll so keep the up. chief executive has only been there less than 40 days on the job? Yes. Oh, my. Yes. He hasn't even had time to figure out where the lunchroom is yet. Oh, my gosh. Replace him. And it's all being done for political reasons, not business reasons. Obviously. I mean, that's very clear. Yeah. They used to have this thing. Actually, if I have anybody listening from Brazil, I can't remember the Portuguese word for this, but basically it was called pizza party. When a government official would get charged for corruption, the Brazilian people had a term for it. It It's called a pizza party. Basically, what they said is instead of going to jail, the people that were charged with corruption would just have pizza with the people that charged them for corruption, and then it would just disappear. The whole case would disappear. It used to be really bad, like really bad. And like I said, they changed a lot, and they've gotten rid of a lot of the corruption, which they need to do. So let's keep an eye on this, especially with the election coming up. And like I said, if I got any – we have any, I know we have a ton of listeners in Brazil. Let me know if that whole pizza party thing is still something that, that is used as slang or not. Huh. Okay. Chevron streamlines top operations management at U.S. oil – Role grows. Chevron, why are you copying Exxon Mobil? <laughs> Exxon just did this, and they're really not copying, sort of, but they're doing something similar because the business drivers are the same. So Exxon Mobil, a few months ago, merged their downstream and fuels oh, business, that's right. Yep. right? And Chevron's doing the same thing, except they're concentrating on the upstream side of the house. So, and the whole reason they're doing this is to streamline and make efficiencies. The cool thing is there's not going to really be any layoffs. There may be a couple of executives, and if I know you personally, I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> that may be moved around or maybe even take an early package. But by combining upstream, midstream, and downstream business segments under a new vice president, it's going to allow him to streamline these operations and drive tremendous efficiencies. And I know Chevron's <laughs> upstream, midstream, and downstream businesses. And if he could literally just get these different people to talk to each other. So the people that work in Chevron ENP don't even know the people that work in Chevron Pipeline. And neither one of them know the people that work in Chevron Downstream, right? If he could just get them room and have them talk, and they could do things like merge supply chain, you know, better vendor management, that sort of stuff, it would drive a lot of efficiencies. And I think this is really cool. Chevron's been needing to do this. They're also consolidating their upstream operations into ge- two geographic regions. Once again, I think it's smart. The American EMP part of the business and the international EMP. And the reason that I think it's important is doing business in the U.S. is different than doing it the rest of the world. Different business yeah. drivers, different culture, yeah. right? different amount of political involvement. So it's good that you can separate this. And then, you know, literally just bring strategy, policy, revenue, business development, all in alignment with where Chevron wants to go, especially with this lower carbon future that Chevron is working really hard on. The other cool thing is in the middle of all this, they've increased production 10%, which is pretty cool considering they can't get parts and pieces. They did uh, three. 3.06 million barrels are equivalent the first quarter, and they have a huge presence in the Permian, which they're still growing. Right. So I just think this is great. And you know, Mike Worth, who's actually a fan of this show, dude, I think you're doing a really good job reorganizing the company for the future. I think this is Chevron 2050 right here. Okay. 
Woodside completes merger with BHP Petroleum. Yeah, I knew this was going to happen. We didn't really talk about it, but you know, BHP had a huge investment years ago in the unconventionals, which didn't play well for them mm. twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't the only ones. They were right. the only ones yeah. to come in and buy high and then exit and sell low and then come back and buy high again. <laughs> <laughs> you think they would have learned the first time. <laughs> you would think. This is a good combination. These two companies complement each other very well. This is going to make a very large, independent, international, basically operator. This could probably place him in the top 10 or 15 once the merger goes through. Interestingly enough, Paige, this merger is causing some layoffs, unfortunately. Mm. And the way I found out about this merger was I actually have acquaintances of mine that were already let go before the merger was announced. Oh. Now, wait, it's not that bad a thing. I know what the packages were. They did a really good job. The people that had to let go, they took care of them. Oh, and I'm sure. And considering that things aren't... Awesome. And back to the way it was before the pandemic, I think it's cool they put money in this, take care of the people that they had unfortunately let go. The cool thing is that the people have to let go or get jobs almost immediately. So oh, that's if, fantastic. Yeah, so if you're one of those people that got a package from this and you're looking for another job, take that package and tuck it away. Hurry up, get another job. And you basically could invest that money. And you talk about awesome returns in a few years because it's almost like free money. You yeah. know, if you get another job in a month and they give you a six-month severance package, you can take that five months' worth of income and invest it in something. You won't even know that it's gone. So when all said and done, this is good for the new company. Well, they can use it to buy gas, Mark. <laughs> yeah, they're going to have to <laughs> use it to buy gasoline. Do we have an article about that? In the, I don't know. Uh, maybe. We'll see when we get there. But you know, <laughs> congratulations to the new company. Can't wait to see what y'all are able to do. Oh, so I think we just talked about this, but UK oil and gas windfall tax will drive away investors hit. North Sea Supply Industry Chief. Yeah, so we did just talk about this, but this is a little bit different slant. This is an environmental slant. And what was interesting about this is you have a lot of experts saying if you do this windfall tax thing, which will drive not only operators out of the North Sea, but investors, it's going to hurt the environment. So you're not going to have the shells and the BPs decommissioning wells in the North Sea. You'll have Lord knows who. And the North Sea oh, is- Oh, no. Think about it. The North Sea is deep. It's cold. It's rough. And when you want to start taking an oil production platform apart, you don't want any spills or accidents. Well, right. Right. Well, if you drive the major operators out of the North Sea, who's going to be doing this work? It's not going to be Shell or BP. It's going to be somebody oh, else. No. And nothing against whoever that somebody else is. They're not going to have the same standard to care or duty to care. And actually, from a legal point of view, they may not even have the same liability because they didn't drill the well. Right. And so this is not That's a good, insane. It is insane. This expert is basically saying if we do this windfall tax, the UK will be impossible to reach net zero by 2050 for the amount of carbon dioxide that's going to be released from decommissioning all these wells in the North Sea. Yeah. So, you know, the investors don't like this. The operators don't like this. It's, it could hurt the UK people. All it's going to do is put money in government's pocket for a little while because, Paige, once, if they do this windfall tax thing and once they drive out the operators, there will be no other place to windfall tax. I mean, literally, they'll do, be able to do it one time and that'll be the end of it. That makes no, no sense. sense. Yeah. It's sort of like firing your sales team, right? You're not going to have any more revenue come in the door if you get rid of your sales team. So this is the same thing. If they get rid of the revenue generators in the North Sea, you're going to have no other revenue come in. So fingers crossed this does goes nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So the next one is U.S. oil output rises 3% in March to highest since November. Love it. Love it. Love it. Keep it mm -hmm. turning to the right. So <laughs> all the major basins are producing. The Permian's leading naturally. And don't get me wrong. I love all the other basins. The reason the Permian is able to spring back so quickly is its infrastructure, quite frankly. Yeah. But you're seeing a lot of investments. You're seeing every state, Pennsylvania, New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana doing well. And the 
process of increasing this production is already in place. So unless we have something insane happen, like mucky pox or invasion by aliens, I fully expect- More murder hornets. Or murder hornets. I fully expected this 3% jump since March is probably going to be about a 10% jump for the whole year. And then by 2023, I think we should be just about back to where we need to be. And by the middle to the end of 2023, if we want to, we can start flooding the market with American hydrocarbons again. Let's do it. Yep. All right. Gas industry sets the record straight. I love this. <laughs> so this is talking about the natural gas industry in Australia, and they have the same political conversations about green energy, fossil fuels hurting the planet, all that stuff that we have here. They come at it a little bit different way, but they have the same curiosity and the same desire to be good stewards to the planet. At the same time, they're also paying enormous prices at the pump, and they're paying enormous prices to keep their house cool in the parts of Australia that you need air conditioning and warm in the parts of Australia that you need heat, which is not much. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say. I'm exaggerating a little bit. There's actually a lot of Australia. It does get cold, believe it or not. Well, and I guess so, they are pretty far down there. So, And so this is the Australian Petroleum Production Exploration Association, APA, and they're basically saying, look – your people that passed all this legislation that was supposed to be green, that caused us to get rid of cold fire power plants, that caused us not to build new natural gas power plants, now you're paying the price. Now you can't afford to fill up your car with fuel. Now we're starting to have rolling blackouts because there's not enough electricity. Mm -hmm. And so what they've said is, look, we have enough of our own natural gas it's in the ground. We're Australia. I mean, look at the Chevron Gorgon project, right? You have to let us get the gas out of the ground for your own financial stability and safety Australian population as green as you think you want to be this is not helping anything and so they're getting a slap in the face with reality same way it's happening here and unfortunately same way it's happening in a lot of the world where the push to move from hydrocarbon to renewables and to speed that up is actually causing energy shortages and when you have energy shortages it affects everything that makes modern life possible our food supply our entertainment transportation clothing everything and so I just Tongue-in-cheek, you know, no shade at Australia because we have the same problems that are probably worse here. But, you know, when you realize that maybe you shouldn't have pushed that wind farm a little too quickly because you can't afford <laughs> to fill up your car with gasoline, that's a good time to stop and step back and go, what is the right way to do this? How do we do this environmentally responsibly without affecting the world's population? So, you know, big hats off to – what is this guy named? Damien Dwyer for, like, just telling it as it is. Like, you shut down the coal plants. You wouldn't let us build new natural gas fire power plants. Now you can't afford electricity. This is why. So I just like the fact that he's just kind of in your face about it. Okay, so the next one is Hedge Fund Elliott Chases Oil and Gas Deals Bucking Wall Street. I love this. So this is a fund called Elliott Match, which I've never heard of before. I did a little bit of research. You know what's interesting about them? What? Their claim to fame in the investment world is they're very heavy into activist investing. So oh. they were the investing firm that years ago were going, hey, you don't have an ESG program? We're not going to invest money in your company. Or, hey, you don't have a chief sustainability officer on your payroll? We don't think we want to invest in your company. Guess what they're doing now? What's that? Just throw all that stuff out the window. And they're going, you know what? We're investing in oil and gas as fast as we possibly can because there's so much freaking opportunity there. Well, that's a turnaround. It really is. And this is something I talked about. This has been a while ago. Maybe I even did it on my predictions. But I was curious at the end of last year because I saw this coming. I was curious if the investment companies, the VCs, the institutional investors, the angel investors, I was curious if they were going to stick with these ESG guidelines before they invested money or with the potential profits you could make inside the oil and gas industry just cause them to like look the other way and invest. And for 
you know, six or eight months, they stuck with their ESG guidelines. Here's one of the first people breaking away going, y'all are crazy. Like, I'm going to make money hand over fist left and right. So they're basically investing in shell basins and operators. They're throwing a lot of cash right now. We're no, right now, no other investors throwing cash in the oil and gas industry. So this guy's a genius. And that's why he's a billionaire, Paul Singer. Because uh, <laughs> <Yeah>, that- <laughs> he knows what he's, he's doing. He's doing something right, <laughs> yeah. right? And so he's basically taking a contrarian strategy. All of his peers in the investment world are still looking at ESG and not pumping money in oil and gas, he is pumping as much money as he can possibly pull out. And right now, with oil being over $100 a barrel, his investments are having to go pay off extremely quickly. So investment community, if you want to keep letting Elliot clean your clock, that's fine. Because <laughs> it's going to happen. But if you want to be a billionaire like Paul Singer, maybe pay attention to what he's doing. <laughs> that's awesome. It really is. <laughs> okay. Top eight most common oil field accidents and how to avoid them. Yeah, I thought this was an interesting article. So before you scroll through it and read it, what would you think would be in the field? Because we have another article coming up about in the office. But in the field, what would you think would be the number one cause of accidents? I have no idea. So I would have thought it would be vehicles, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. You know I'm wrong? Are you? It's electrocution. Really? I would have never picked electrocution. That's the last thing I would yeah. think. So electrocution, just, you know, people have common sense. Make sure you're wearing your PPE. If something's locked out, tagged out, don't freaking touch it. If you're not an electrician, don't touch anything. Go find an electrician. So just stay away from wires. <laughs> Another one page is equipment failures, where you have a heavy piece of machinery come apart, something explodes, something oh, catches yeah. on fire. So once again, people, make sure your equipment's maintained. If that equipment is from a third party, like a service company, make damn sure their guys are coming out and doing spot checks on it, making sure it's getting maintained per whatever the hourly maintenance is now here's what i would have guessed slips and falls yeah yeah yeah. i mean i'm clumsy i've run into everything so that makes sense to me a couple of notes just my own personal point of view if you're i don't want to say new but let's say you're going to a rig site and you're not used to wearing frs and steel toe boots i'm not used to wearing frs right the steel toes are so heavy yeah so one thing is your body's not used to it and so your own ppe becomes a trip hazard if you're not careful to your point you don't pick up your foot quite high enough with the steel toes because it's heavier so you stub into the stairs women especially if you're you know, not normally on the well site and they throw you in a pair of man's FRs. Be really careful. The legs could be way too long. You're going to trip over your own cufflinks, right? Try to get some women's fitted PPE. And then from a PPE point of view, if the flame resistant clothing doesn't fit you right, you're going to get burned to something up. So make sure they have, if you're a female, they have female appropriate PPE. And shout then, out to Bulwark. Yeah. Shout out to Bulwark. And then, you know, falls, you know, people laugh at us with our two hands on the handrails. That's why we do it. So somebody doesn't fall. Yeah. So take that same practice that you do on the job site and bring it home. I mean, we do it here. You know, I fuss at my son all the time for not having a hand on the handrail, even though we're inside a house. So you can prevent a lot of that if you just pay attention. Blowouts, we would have guessed that, yeah. right? Those are unpredicted. You have a, maybe a minute, maybe a minute and a half to react once you realize a blowout's going to happen. Always buy your mud engineer lunch because he's the guy that's keeping you safe. Burns is another one. We talked about that. Geez, there's four kinds. Yeah. So there's contact burns, and that's when you touch something hot, which <laughs> you and I both do it way too often. <laughs> more, speak for yourself. I'm okay. Flash burns. That's when you have a flash fire. Electrical burns, chemical burns. Now, here's another one. Gas poison. H2S. Yeah, H2S. We all know the drill. Wear a meter. If you see a buddy go down, do not go get them. Go get help. A lot of times, if it's processed natural gas, there's going to be an egg smell, a rotten egg smell, so you can smell it. But what a lot of people don't know is that egg smell is put in there on purpose so you can smell it. 
If it's gas straight from the well, it doesn't have that smell. You can't smell it. So just be careful of that. And then rig collapses. That's mm-hmm. another one. I'm not quite sure what you do for a rig collapse. If we have anybody out there that understands what the practice is, I don't even know how you know the rig's going to collapse. But, you know, you obviously when a rig collapses, it could be horrendous. Then number eight is motor vehicle accidents. So and we talked about, which I thought that was going to be first. And the problem in the field is a lot of these guys are overworked. They're tired. They're driving down dirt roads with no lights. So people just be careful out there. I mean, my great grandfather, they called him Nub because he's missing a finger. And my other grandfather was missing his middle finger, and I used to like try to get him to pick up change and it would fall out of his hands. <laughs> <Change. That's laughs> I was horrible. little. He thought it was hilarious. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that? So when I first got in the industry, you literally would measure the experience of a roughneck by how many fingers he was missing. Oh, yeah, I've heard that before. And how cool is it? That's just gone now. Yeah. Like, that doesn't happen anymore. That's how safe we've gotten. Yeah. All right, so we talked about stuff about safety out in the field. Let's go to the next one. Okay. 10 of the most common office work-related injuries. Yeah, so here's working on gas with actually being in the office. What would you think number one would be? Because I've seen this firsthand, someone falling down the stairs. Yep, that's number one. Slips and falls in the office. <laughs> now, only in oil and gas do we have number two. <laughs> Struck by moving objects. <laughs> no other industry has to worry about... What kind moving. of objects? Now, remember, this is in the office environment. <laughs> The, what, the fax machine or no, the no, no, no. copier? So, so let's think about this. Let's pick Technic FMC, one of our sponsors, right? If you walk through their warehouse where they're building trees. Oh, or, the actual warehouse. Okay, yeah. so that makes sense versus but actually. That's considered still the office, right? Oh. That's still considered town. You're not in the field. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't count that. <laughs> well. <laughs> I count like actually in the office with execs and. All right, so here's another thing. Stuff falling off shelves in high places. So think a lot of the offices. How many rooms have you walked into where there's five inch binders stacked all the way up to the ceiling well so my office i had all of my railroad commission all my bessie all my federal regulations on top of yeah yeah i could see that happening okay so <laughs> we gotta watch out for moving objects in, in the <laughs> office in the oil field but here's one it's almost as funny maybe even funnier being struck by a stationary object what? I shouldn't be laughing because people get hurt doing this. So this is like when you're just not paying attention, you walk into a telephone pole. Right? <laughs> They're trying to walk into a meeting room that's full of glass and you yeah, just walk through Yeah, full of glass, like- <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, so, and so while you're in the office and you're watching out for stuff moving that hits you, make sure you're not the moving object that hits something that's stationary. <laughs> and then here's one that I see a lot, overexertion. And I don't mean like you try to run a marathon. I mean like where you're on that step stool and it's not quite tall enough and you're still trying to reach something and you reach for it. We all know you shouldn't do that, right? That's something I would do. Yeah, me too. I, we shouldn't do this. Because I don't want to ask for help. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. Ask for help. Same way with like picking up heavy objects. We all know that the proper way to do it, we all know to ask for help. And even I sometimes just, just grab something, pick it up, which is I've hurt myself many times by just not paying attention. Yeah, to but I've, I've just like coughed and thrown my back out before. So, I mean, that's just age. <laughs> no, keep your age-related industries to yourself. <laughs> and then the next one in the office, repetitive motion industries, things like carpal tunnel. I totally, oh, yeah. I totally get that. And then once again. Electrocution? Electrocution. What is the deal with our industry of people being shot? Well, maybe that'd just be like an office thing, period. <laughs> maybe. Across all industries. Entanglement? 
What? Oh, this is when like a woman's clothing her hair gets caught in something, a piece of moving equipment or whatever. Like an elevator. Yeah. Okay. So I, I see that. Yeah. And then here we go again. Motor vehicle accidents. Please, people, be safe on the roads. And then a f- fall from heights. I see that too. I'm not going to tell you what company it was, but it's one of the super majors. And I was in for a meeting and the guy was changing light bulbs. And so, you know, the typical ceiling height is eight feet, right? And OSHA requirements mean require that anytime you're higher than six feet, you're tied off to something. So this guy was tied off to a sprinkler pipe, which was probably decent to hold his weight, right, with a harness, but he was with an eight-foot lead. So he was six feet off the ground. <laughs> now you get it. <laughs> with it an eight-foot lead. <laughs> I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> so he met the technical requirements. He was tied off. But if he would have fell, he would have hit the floor with two feet of slack left. Oh, his, my his God. Lead. But he was tied off. So fall from heights is another one. And then this one's really unfortunate, and it's a bit of our modern lifestyle, but Workplace violence in the office is another thing that we have to look out for, right? And so we all see. What is an example of that? Like some dude, like kind of like the guy that super glued himself in protest to the desk? That could be considered. What they're really talking about here is, I mean, we've all seen this. Somebody's boyfriend breaks up with them. Uh, she works at the office. He gets mad. He comes with a gun. He shoots a bunch of people. You know, that's the sort of stuff that now we have to look out for. It, and this is really sad. We probably need to start training our employees about how you deal with that. Like, what do you look out for? How do you lock doors? What's your actions? It's sad that we have to even think that way, but we got to keep our people safe. Yeah. No, that makes sense yeah. to me. So two different groups, you know, whether you're in the office and the field, two different groups of things you need to look out for. With, for some bizarre region, electrocution being <laughs> common <laughs> between the two. <laughs> so audience, I hope that was helpful to you. I thought that was a useful thing to talk about because things have changed a little bit. And like you said, things like workplace violence, we haven't really talked about that ever, but it's something we have to worry about now. You know what else we have to worry about now? Free passes from the canon. Damn good job, Paige. <laughs> you can do I'm this learning. for me. <laughs> I'm yeah. learning. Uh, uh, the coolest co-working space I've ever seen in the world. They're right here in Houston, Texas. If you need a place to go hang out and do some work, go to the desk. Say you're a friend of OGG and they'll give you a free day pass. It's also where we do our mixers every month. It's just, just a really cool group of people, really good pe- um, stuff. IBM t-shirt, you know the deal? That's gone. In fact, we're going to quit mention, mention IBM t-shirt. We have some replacements and some news coming. Can't tell you about it now, so you'll just have to wait. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Weekly rig count. Where are we? All right. We are at 727 down one in the United States. Canada, we're at 103, up 15. Way to go, Canada. Yeah. And internationally, we're at 806, so we're down nine. Good numbers. I'm telling you. The best numbers, though, are on our LinkedIn company page. That's when we (laughs) find out about our unscripted live stream, which is actually happening this week. So the time you hear this, it'll have already happened, but you go back and watch the replay. How cool is it? that they have like senior oil and gas people on the show that have to drink alcohol and answer trivia questions while they play. I'm kind of jealous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie. And if that sounds kind of cool, that's what the show is about. So go check it out. Alcohol and executives. (laughs) (laughs) Michael O'Sullivan runs the live stream. It's wonderful. People love it. And actually, I think we've lost our bar sponsorship. Bar sponsor. So if anybody out there wants to be the bar sponsor for Unscripted, reach out to me. It's $500 a month. It's great coverage. And it's just fun, right? Then speaking of Unscripted and all that stuff, all that stuff you learn on LinkedIn, go just find our company page, go sign up for it. Then if you want to understand about all the oil and gas events that are going on, there's a link in the show notes for our monthly oil and gas events newsletter. You hear me say it every month. It's just a free resource, which is useful. And then while you're out there, if you want to ask a question to Paige and I, and please, please, please remember the goal is not to stump us, but to help educate, either go to oilandgasthisweek.com or oggn.com. Both have a place for you to ask a question. And if we use your question on there, you get a big shout out. 
And then finally, if you want myself or your experts to go come to your organization, your marketing kickoff, your sales kickoff, whatever, we're happy to come. We can do some education. We can do live podcasts. We can do some entertainment or a combination of three. And Paige, I think we're going to end up in the, for the first time later this summer in the Caribbean doing a speaking gig. That's going to be kind of cool. Nice. Yeah. Well, you're coming. Oh, I, yeah, oh, I get yeah. to go? Yeah. Oh, man, I'm going to have to bring so much sunscreen because yes. I glow in the dark. <laughs> Serious sun out there. <laughs> anyway, so that's everything in a nutshell. Ready to get out of here? Yeah. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.